Hello, I'm Dr Julie Humphreys. And I'm Natasha Whitehurst. And in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about gender at work and how men can be active allies. Hello, and as you know by now, here at DNI Spy, we like to uncover what's really going on in the world of equality, diversity, and inclusion. And in today's episode, we're going to be exploring moving away from fixing the women to the underlying problems that women actually face. And we're joined by Joy Burnford, an experienced business leader, entrepreneur, and a passionate advocate for gender equality at work, a regular speaker and author of the book called Don't Fix Women, The Practical Path to Gender Equality at Work, which has only just recently been published. Um, and has also, um, Joy has also been um, writing for Forbes.com. Massive welcome. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. No, it's great to uh, to actually sit down and read your book. So thank you for spending your, I'm sure, hours and hours oh, yes. pouring your heart in, into that. <laughs> it was quite a quite a feat, I must say. Well, it was a great read. So thank, thank you. you. So we're gonna um, we're gonna sort of start at the beginning, really. And as Natasha just said, it's called "Don't Fix the Women." Where did that title come from? Mm. Well, it's a really good question. And um, as you know, my business started um, all about thinking of women's confidence and how women, I felt women needed to have more confidence in the workplace. And very soon after I developed that business, I realised that actually you can have the most confident woman, but actually if you have a workplace that's not designed for women and and you know generally you wouldn't be able to be confident because the systems don't en- enable you to thrive and and. and sort of progress even if you have got confidence it's all about how you change the system around it so I think the other thing is you know organizations were typically built by men for men so a lot of the systems and processes in place are um, designed for, for men and actually it's all about how you actually change very simple things actually to enable all people actually to have a better quality of life and and, and work. So before mm. we explore that more do you think therefore that um, women don't have a problem with confidence anymore? No. Well, I think everybody has a problem with confidence from time to time. I think any situation, I mean, my personal experience was I felt I was on a roller coaster of confidence um, in my career. And, you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't get me speaking in front of people. You would never have got me on a podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, it's actually something I felt that I really struggled with. And I know a lot of women and men do struggle with it as well. But I think once you know that confidence is something you can learn, actually, you can get over that. Um and I think it's, you know, men often lack the confidence to say they lack confidence. But I think typically confidence will come onto this probably in the book, which um, a lot of the things that women face, the obstacles women face on the path to, um, you know, on their career path um, can actually impact confidence. So things like the, the, the obstacles, the challenges around caring, responsibilities, hormonal challenges like menopause, those kind of things can have an impact on confidence. So I think there's a, you know, there is a little bit of research showing that women do lack confidence a bit more than men, but I think it's not absolutely, it's not just a women's thing flag <laughs> sorry I thought you were going on to ask something else about confidence then um I'm I am really keen to understand um to go back into that and I, I guess I'd be keen to to explore what those small changes could be in your opinion um but I guess from from your side why is change maybe not happening quickly enough you know you talked there about workplaces being male focused mm. I think it's really um got to come from the top within organisations. I think what the, the real problem is that we know that a lot of leaders are men. And the reason things are not changing is if you haven't got leaders who are really passionate about this kind of change, it just gets 
you know, pushed down into sort of the DNI agenda or an HR agenda, and it's just like actually, this has to be on the top table. This has to be on the agenda, especially at times like we're in now. You know, COVID times, things like gender pay gap reporting got shelved. You know, things like you know now people are worried about the economic crisis, and that they'll be talking about lots of other things. But actually, gender, if you don't think long term about this, you'll find that, you know, in three years time, all the women will have gone and then you're back to square one again. So you've really got to think about it. And if those people at the top mm. don't start and think about it, um, I think that's why change isn't happening fast enough. Um, yeah, you may have heard the Chinese proverb, which is, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Mm. And the second best time is now. So what I always challenge people about this, I say, you know, actually, there's no point talking about it. Let's just get on with it and, and get some practical steps in place. It's, there are some real, as you know, there are some simple things you can do um, to make change happen. It doesn't have to be ma- you know, massive. Start small. And, and you mentioned there the gender pay gap and um yeah it was paused during covid and 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 from your book you talk about from from what i talk it you're saying that you think it needs more teeth that mm. whole process mm. so tell us a little bit about that yeah i think um it's all well and good and i think it's good to be on the journey to say we need to be reporting these things and that's a really really great first step but i think the challenge is you know when people report that they're not doing so well what then happens it's like well okay the next year you do your reporting and and so what? You know, actually, what's what? What are we doing to actually encourage these organisations and and mandating some change? And I think there's a bit of a sort of you know fine line between you know mandating it and and giving people the chance to do things themselves. But I think if we don't put more um, action around it uh, and you know encourage more organisations to do things, then it's not going to change. But I think one thing that is changing is I'm hearing a lot of stories from um, from companies that are saying that they want clients and things are asking for women on teams and that sort of thing mm. so I think if once you start getting clients asking for this and saying well we want a more diverse um, team mm. that you're putting forward to us then that's the kind of thing when it's going to affect the bottom line I think um, yeah yeah I was just going to go back to what you were saying um, just a couple of moments ago about you know getting it on the agenda at that high level mm. but I guess what can you know we like to try and take things back to basics and kind of simplify it. So if you're a, you know, male dominated, male heavy kind of senior leadership team, what what could they be doing to kind of keep this on their mind or have this kind of actionable mm. on their agenda, do you think? Absolutely. And then one of the things um, I talk about is allyship as one of the cultural frameworks that I um, recommend that, that organisations think about. And I I really like to bring it down to practical steps because actually people say, I want to be an ally, um, but they're not quite sure what to do. And... In the book, as you know, I, I talk about a matrix called the Gender Allies Matrix, which looks at um, action and belief. So there are some people in an organisation, perhaps, that are what I call in sort of bottom left, which are ostriches, when they think mm. they don't really believe in it and they're not doing anything about it. And then you move up to sort of performers who are doing something, but they think they have to do it because it's good for their CV and it's things they should be doing. And then bottom right is apprentice, which is they believe what they're doing, but they don't quite know what to do, which is the space that I like to work with. And then you go to top right, which is champion, which is people who are really believing in it and really doing stuff about it. So if you're in that apprentice box, what I like to say is um, uh, look at something called spaces, which is stands for sponsorship, pass on opportunities, act with insight, communicate with curiosity, engage in meetings and set an example. So these are sort of seven steps. I think it's seven, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> yeah. One, two, three, four, five. Six. We're, we're on oh, six. six. Spaces. 
Oh, maybe it's six. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so sponsorship is a really big thing. And actually just just getting people around a table and saying, so what are you going to do? And this is something we run in our allyship workshops, actually. We do that with um, with clients and we say, get, you know, 15 people around a table and think about things like, you know, ha- ha- have you ever felt excluded, for example? And and it's not about, you know, man bashing. It's about saying, you know, this is the situation we're in. This is the world we live in. You know, when have you ever felt excluded? Do you know what it's like? You know, what's mm. to have privilege and those sorts of things. And, and it's, it's a really good starting place to say you know have a think about that and think about things through somebody else's um lens and are they specifically for women those those groups or do you think that they could be transferred across other demographics oh absolutely other do you mean for um being an ally to other yeah so so yeah yeah, absolutely i think you can i think this particular one is around women um but yes i I know there are lots of other things you know out there people talk about allyship in terms of being a better ally to those in in other minorities absolutely but i think that the spaces thing is quite um useful because it says you know sponsorship is the first thing that I really advocate and actually having formal sponsorship programs in place which is encouraging people to uh, you know pick or select one or two women who you feel should be having their profile elevated within the organization and, and they can advocate for them in the rooms where these pr- these um, decisions are being taken around performance reviews um, performance reviews and that sort of thing um, because if those women are not in those conversations, you have to have somebody advocating for them. And I believe, I, mean, I was just chatting at my book launch last week, actually saying there were um, there were about 40 organisations in the room. And I said, if each of you have 150, you, you put 150 people through an allies workshop like this, and each of those 150 um, sponsor two women, then that would be 12,000 women being sponsored. So if we all make a small step, you know, in those kind of areas, it's really, it's not difficult, you know. Have, yeah. a cof- have a coffee with a woman this week. Yeah. I, th- I think a lot of um, a lot of people or organisations get confused between sponsorship and mentoring, yeah, though, don't yeah, they? Definitely. And mentoring is is like really easy. So a lot of people and organisations sort of fall into mentoring mm-hmm. because sponsorship is actually quite hard, and it's putting yourself on the line because you are vouching, you're advocating for that person. So so to your point, it's not always is it just going for a coffee with that person, but it's actually being in a, a room with other senior people and and standing up for that person that you're sponsoring. So that can be quite a difficult or a challenging thing to do mm, absolutely and I think I think a mentor can be a sponsor mm-hmm. um, definitely but I think you're you're right it's a very different um, thing it's the same as your know, coaching is different as well mm. different again you know that's something I talk about a lot in the book as well it's about how you you're listening um, and it's not necessarily giving your advice or your experience whereas mentorship is more about giving your experience um, but yeah uh, so and so I'm getting a bit, bit of a hobby horse. <laughs> Sorry. So I feel I feel quite strongly about this because I think organisations or people within organisations who may be leading DNI or may have um, a responsibility for it, they are so so under the cosh with budgets and with resources and with time because usually it's a very small team that sometimes they have to go for a cookie cutter approach and that's and you can go to any number of organizations external organizations and and pick off off the shelf a mentoring program and then you get all the toolkits and you know you pay them an amount and you know and then in your mind it's dick i'm doing mentoring so we're really doing well for our women now sponsorship is very different because you don't generally go and get a program off the shelf for no. sponsorship. And it's I think that's where that falls down. Not that I don't want I don't want a cookie cutter approach, but I think that's where the whole thought of having a sponsorship program because DNI people don't have loads of time to create well, that's the kind of thing we do. So it's actually looking at how you help organisations put in place formal sponsorship programmes. So it's not just, I think if you have the same um, informal things, what happens is you have the traditional, what, what happens is, you know, the 
the senior male mentors or sponsors somebody in their likeness and then they get sponsored mm. through the organization so I think if you have a very if you have a f- more formalized approach um you know think about why you know who you're sponsoring why you're sponsoring and also in- encouraging women within the organizations to expand their networks and ask for sponsors as well because not just down to the sort of senior people I think you know talking about, talking about confidence that's something that women could could be better at doing um uh you know there's actually a, a TED talk by Carla Harris which uh, is worth checking out actually about um, sponsorship, um, and uh, yeah, she talks a lot about that and how you, you know, to find your your key sponsors. And I think a lot of women I've spoken to who have succeeded and gone to the top have had great sponsors in their careers. Okay. I think it's a, a kind of two two sided and kind of two pronged attack here, isn't it? Because you've got the sponsors who potentially have always, like you say, sponsored someone that's of their likeness, so therefore mm. they've kind of got into that cycle. So it really takes. Like you say, it's that two-sided. So you need the confidence of women um, to, to to approach the sponsor. You then need your sponsors to be able to step out of their comfort zone of the people they've always mm. supported. And like you say, to, to sponsor somebody, it takes trust. And actually, there's a lot around that, around, you know, if it's the first you know, first time you've stepped out of your comfort zone, you've maybe making connections with somebody that you haven't necessarily connected with before. There's the cultural piece. Um, there's quite a lot to unpack, isn't there? Mm. And I don't know whether either of you been, you know, had sponsorship before, but I know I've had. And people mm. have tapped me on the shoulder and said, I think you should go for this, Joy. And I'm like, really? Me? And I'm like, oh, okay. And I hadn't even thought that I could have done something. And actually, that's enabled me to think, well, I can do this and somebody wants me to do this. Because a lot of the time, women just think, oh, well, somebody will ask me sometime. <laughs> but it doesn't happen that no. way, unfortunately. Mm. And that's about the system change, isn't it? It's actually, how can we as organisations change those things that are set in stone and the way things have always been done? Let's shake mm. it up and just say, let's think about this in a different way. And one of the um, other ways that you talk about in your book um, around system change is um, you've developed some uh, a framework for inclusive leaders mm-hmm. around a pace. Mm-hmm. Tell us yeah. about that. Absolutely. So this is about, um, I, I interviewed over 100 people for the book um, and added to that lots of research that I've done over the years. Um, and the the business leaders and CEOs that I interviewed Typically, those who were doing really well shared these four different behavioural traits. The first one, P, is for passion and purpose as well. And and those who are really passionate about it, and I say they had DNI in their DNA, you know, they really believed in this and it was the ones who really had it, made sure it was on their top table, their, their agenda. Um, and those people really, you know, were, were doing amazing things. A is for accountability. So, and I was actually chatting to a few firms yesterday actually about this and saying, you know, if, if you want change to happen, you have to build this into your performance reviews and to bonus payments and that kind of thing. Because if you're not rewarding people for doing this kind of behaviour, um, it'll just get pushed down to other, um, you know, HR people again and things won't happen. Things won't change. So it's all about making sure that you have accountability. You say you're going to do something. Um, you make it known to people in your organisation that you are going to do something about this and be kept accountable and that comes across really clearly in your book around that that's really vital to instigate change out of those pace that the the a around those setting those goals scheduling the regular meetings it's making sure dni's on the agenda um, at the most senior level and and also communicating and what i liked was when you said inviting suggestions Yeah, mm. absolutely. And that comes onto the C, which is communicate with, with, with curiosity, really, and um, being curious and having curious conversations, because I think a lot of the time people don't know what to do. And, and I think, you know, I know quite a lot about gender, but often if I'm in a place where I'm talking to other you know, minorities or whatever, and I don't quite know what to say, and I don't know quite what to do and how to, how to do the right thing. And so just by saying, actually, I'm not sure, could you could you tell me how I can 
uh, no help is a really good place to be you don't have to have all the answers and I think typically you know alpha males are like well I know what I'm doing here and I don't need to be told but actually if you just just kind of let your guard down a bit and just be curious Uh, and that sort of leads on to e which is empathy um, and again, I think uh, COVID really helped with this. And I think a lot of managers showed more empathetic skills over COVID when people were sort of looking into other people's, that sounds dodgy, didn't look into their lives. But mm. you know, you've got to see a window into a, a world, window didn't into we? a world that, you know, you didn't see before. So it's like really understanding. And this kind of comes down to the coaching piece as well and sort of having a culture of coaching and support. I always believe that... Um, you know, you need in the moment feedback. And a lot of the time managers think, oh, well, you have an annual review. We'll just check in then and we'll get feedback and things at that point. And I remember somebody saying, it's like when you're um, a coach, if you're a uh, sports person and you have a coach and they don't wait for a year to give you feedback on that race. They give you in the moment feedback. And that really helps with confidence as well for women. And in telling people sort of how, if they've done something really well, I know I personally really love having positive feedback. Um, and I think that's something that, that managers can do. And I think it's probably more of a female trait that actually pe- we like to have more feedback. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I, from the people I've spoken to, <laughs> I think I get that sense that you want to know you're doing a good job. And that gives yeah. you that boost to think, actually, yeah, I can do this. But like sponsorship thing, you know, you can do this. And when you're dealing with loads of other stuff, like this whole mental load piece, you know, I talk about as well in the home and all these other obstacles that we're facing. Um, yeah, that can really, really help. Just unpack that mental load thing thing. oh my gosh yes that's quite a big thing in my world um so mental load is when you're juggling all the sort of the the emotional stuff and the 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 to-do list it's typically people who are managing a home as well and they're trying to juggle things like school bags for children elder care they might be trying to work out cover for the you know looking after their parent or they're dealing with um, medical issues or that kind of thing and there's a lot of stuff or, or just when I've got to put the dishwasher on or get the washing done and all those other additional things that women often have to take I'm not saying all women you know a lot of men do this as well but it does generally mm. f- fall on the on the shoulders of women to think about all these other things that are going on in their lives as well as work so before you even you know get up out of your bed in the morning or when you're getting ready for getting out you've got to get your kids ready for school you've got to do the think about what dressing up they've got to do for that particular day or whatever it is um or screaming children or and it's just really hard to manage all of that and then sort of compartmentalize it and then get yourself into a work Mm. frame of mind which I think is really hard sometimes and what impact did covid have on that do you think I think uh it was part part of covid was good because it meant we could have flexibility in this whole thing about working from home and actually mandating that people always said it was oh it's too difficult it's not Can't, possible it's not yeah. possible to do that and actually it's it's been amazing we've had to have a pandemic to prove that actually you can be as productive working from home but i know from my own personal experience covid was really hard because i was trying to work i was trying to write a book and work and homeschool children um and yeah i think i've got ptsd actually from that whole experience it was really challenging so i think it's had positive effects but i think it's also it it added a huge amount of burden onto typically women in the in the house um and it meant that they're i know i have friends who said you know my husband's working at home as well but he's just getting up going to the office and working coming out and expecting dinner on the table <laughs> and it's like oh, oh wow and <laughs> you know i'm sure that's not the case in everybody you know and i'm very fortunate i have a husband who sort of does half half and half with me so it means i can do my work and i'm i'm a real advocate in in flexibility and job sharing and that kind of thing because i think it really helps and enables you know people to do things in a flexible way and, and be able to do work as well as managing that whole mental load yeah you talk about flexibility a lot in mm. your book and um i must say i'm 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 on the fence. Mm. I love flexibility, but I feel like 
I feel a bit jealous because I feel that I didn't have any flexibility and I don't want to be the, one of those people. I'm not one of those people who like oh, pull the ladder. Oh, here we go. But I, and I was standing on the, on the train um, platform You're about to morning, get our podcast cancelled, aren't you? <laughs> I Can't wait for this. I was Sorry, everyone. On the, uh, by the train this morning and just thinking, because my children are now sort of university age. Mm. But what, so, and when, I were, when they were younger, um, I was in financial services, so in the city um, of London, sort of in and out. And I, and, and I had like minutes to, to, to spare when I used to have to get them out of after school club. If I wasn't there by six o'clock, I'd be fined. And, and it was just so stressful. And there was no flexibility afforded to me or anybody like that, um, which is one of the reasons that I did my doctorate around the, the effect of children on women's careers mm. because it, it they mess your career up mm. essentially yeah. um and i love the fact now that we're talking about flexibility that it's not a taboo but i mean it's awful that we've had a pandemic to to bring it around but one of the things that i loved was that you are talking about flexibility so much because we don't i don't think we don't want to lose that now mm. now the pandemic's over mm. we don't want to go back to the way we were no and people keep saying when are we going to get back to normal i'm like oh gosh. no we're not gonna do that <laughs> and i think it's the two-tier workforce that i really want to make sure we don't fall into that which yeah. is basically that the men and i'm being really generalistic here and please don't you know excuse the sort of brevity of it but you know men typically go back to the office and women would be staying at home to carry on working and then those women are not getting those same opportunities again and it could fall back into how we were before um and i think it's really important for organizations to um to think about that and think about if you're somebody who typically likes to go to the office think about actually how can I work at home and role model working at home more and yeah. also when you have hybrid meetings having everybody with a screen on the tables and meeting rooms so that everybody feels like they're in the same shape box yeah inclusive, um, meetings. inclusive meetings yeah I think because of the roles that we do we have a lot of access don't we into lots of other organizations and you hear lots of you know what's happening out in the, the wider world and I I I actually really like the fact that we're in this flexible space where people are understanding we can do the same job, we can be anywhere and actually we can work at different times as well. And do you know what? If you do have childcare responsibility, you could potentially finish your day, um, you know, you could pause your day at two o'clock, potentially do the school run, do yeah. your stuff at home and then mm. log on in the evening. And I like that. I think that's good. I am mindful though that I feel like I am hearing pockets of people that say well we need to all get back into the yes. office and yeah. you know we should all be in the office and that's where the fun stuff happens mm. and that's where the decisions happen and almost then making people feel bad yeah, exactly or guilty for mm. not and I think there is a real risk and I think for the future of our workforces we need to get this really Absolutely. under control and I don't think it's necessarily about men and women here I think no it's about, I agree um, I think you know younger generations as well coming up want to work in a different way yep um, and I think when I'm talking about flexibility, I'm not just talking necessarily about hybrid working and working from home and that kind of thing. It's, it covers covers a lot of other stuff. And actually just thinking about work design yeah. generally, actually, it's about how, you know, basing it on outputs rather than inputs. Um, I've always worked with flexible team, people who've worked abroad, people mm. who've been, you know, parents who've had um, daytime type working. And I think as long as you, you're very clear about what the expectations are and the outputs are that you're expecting, yeah. it doesn't matter to me how how and when they do it and it's kind of thinking like an entrepreneur I think because I've worked in corporates and I've worked as an entrepreneur and I my day now is kind of I, I work my own diary out and I do what I want when I want and mm. if I want to go and have my hair cut I'll go and have my hair cut but I'll read something or prepare for a presentation whilst I'm having my hair cut yeah so I, or you know and actually it's just fitting work around your life rather than the other way around uh, yeah and I I would completely agree with that and I think you know even down to global mili global mobility yeah. you know the fact that people 
don't need to be chained to a desk in a certain location to do the job that they need to do um i appreciate there are some jobs and some roles that people do need to be in a specific location for and we're not all we're not in that world but yeah i think we have to open our minds a bit more and that then will also help with the talent shortage so you know we've got lots and lots of vacancies in pockets of places well let's tap into those resources and people in in different places and absolutely and i think you know i was talking at a conference the other day about this exact thing you know talent shortage is a real opportunity here for diversity Mm. because you can go and look for in different areas and i think it's just being aware of not putting up too many barriers if you're going to do that so not saying we need somebody who's had x amount of years experience or just thinking about how you're asking for those um roles because things might have changed Um, but actually one of the things i just wanted to mention on the flexibility piece one of the things that's coming up a lot is job sharing which Mm. so tell me no, you <laughs> <laughs> your face. I was like, "What are you going to say?" I know she always pulls that face. What? Sorry, I just think it's really nineteen eighties job sharing. I've gone all Birmingham again. That was, uh, that she, was she's passionate. I don't, I, don't, I don't know why. I don't know whether it was just because in no in the old days it was well. This is how to be flexible. Mm. You must share a job. Mm. Um, and I feel like we're 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 a tackling a problem with like a decades old solution. I disagree. I think yes. I love that. <laughs> I think where where I've where I'm going with this is actually not job sharing in the tra- what you maybe remember from 1980s. It's sort of oh, I don't remember. I don't, from like well, I don't remember <laughs> the 1980s. <laughs> just to be clear, um, but actually, you know, in sort of maybe lower level jobs, and it's just like clock in, clock out. Let's share a job, and this is very different. I think when it comes to s- what I'm talking about here with senior women and how you retain women into senior roles that are trying to juggle all of these obstacles, the caring responsibilities, the hormonal challenges, the you know confidence issues, all of these things, and having. Um, You'll have seen in my, my book, I interview um, a job share couple from who the talent um, directors at John Lewis. And they are just amazing. And the, the stories they told, and they've moved from company to company in a job share. They can do three days a week work, but they have a really, really big role. And they have each other to kind of work together with. So it's like a team. So they don't feel so lonely. Because often when you get to senior roles, you can feel quite lonely yeah. as well. They give each other the confidence to kind of go for the next step up and to be brave about those kind of decisions that they're doing. It's all about collaboration. You know, we, we know that women are typically more, you know, have a great you know, feminine traits around sort of collaboration and those sorts of things. So I think all of that, and it's not necessarily just women. I think, you know, men can get a lot out of job sharing as well. And it's just sharing, sharing the, um, sharing the role to enable more people to work in a flexible way um, to enable them to take those big, because some of those big jobs need people to cover. And actually, if you've got two people covering a role, you've also got the benefit if one person goes off and has a baby or somebody's ill with COVID or somebody's got mental health issues and they have to take a bit of time out, you've got somebody who can cover that on holidays. And you might think it's more expensive to have us paying somebody six days for a five-day job. But actually, the, I think the upside is really, really mm. interesting. And I, I'm talking now to organisations about helping people get to do a pilot because some organisations are saying, well, how on earth do we start this? We've never done it before. And, and I'm really keen on enabling women um, to not have to put a business case forward for this. Because at the moment, you have to go in and say, right, we'd be a great job share and this is all the benefits and everything else. And it's adding more... <laughs> to their mm. stress and I'm like if organisations could think about it in a different way and actually really understand the benefits have I convinced you, you? no no <laughs> sorry <laughs> I think I love the sound of that brilliant thank you but no I'm, I'm here but for why, that why because I think for all the reasons and all you'd positive- hate it sorry you would hate it because you're a control freak no I actually don't think I would because if you think about our working relationship and like shared project mm. and having that person Absolutely. I think that piece around getting into a senior position and feeling lonely 
and needing that kind of sanity of that person alongside you I think you've it take I think that that would reassure me from a psychological safety perspective knowing you've got that person that you're sharing the workload you can talk things through you can teamwork yeah it's like you've got a team within your job actually I quite like the sound of that and you have to get the right partnership i think that's really key yeah you have to make sure you're working with the right kind of person and you can't have somebody who you're competing with you have to be really yeah, supportive supportive mm. and i think that's how if you find the right partnership or you know organizations can help you find that right partnership it doesn't you know i'm sure there are plenty of stories when it hasn't worked but i just think as a way of thinking about how we want more women to get into to stay in work yeah. and work flexibly actually it's just a, a new area to, to explore I would I would counter it though and say so just going back to what you've just said there about we want women to stay and be able to do everything why can we not flip the roles outside that say actually the other person that maybe also has a senior job or also maybe doesn't have mm. so much of a senior job could take some of those other mm. responsibilities on if you're in a Absolutely. in that partnership like I know I mean I probably brag about it too much but my home life is very different so my significant other does every bit of home stuff and so actually I go to work with the freedom that Mm. I don't have to think I mean we don't have any children or anything but I don't do any washing ironing cleaning cooking like you chose we were talking about this yesterday and actually how our best advice to women is to choose your best your life partner carefully yeah because I mean I'm I'm the same as you the reason you know I'm sitting here now is because I have a husband who's at home it's actually his birthday today as well and I left oh um but he's always been um very you know he took a year off when I had my our first child he took yeah. a year off and did the kind of whole house husband thing and he brought my uh, you know our daughter to me when I was in meetings and I, I was my own business so I could breastfeed and I was doing all those sort of things but juggling the, the whole thing but he was there at home so I knew that I could do my role mm. but a lot of men I think there's a stigma still attached to kind of men doing more in the home and I would love to see more focused on this and, and this is something that's you know cropped up the other day as well for me that how do you encourage if you've got a male dominated workforce how do you encourage them to do more in the home when it's not it's going to benefit their their wives or partners who work for other companies <laughs> so it's this macro societal level yeah. change mm. because it's not going to benefit that organization by giving them more flexibility but it will enable their other halves um and i know after you know after covid a friend of mine's um, when during COVID she she had a husband who was helping with the drop off and pick up so she could just get to her work earlier and leave later mm. as soon as COVID happened sorry after COVID happened he's then had to go back into the office so now she's now lost all this you know flexibility again I, I, I'm, I'm concerned we're going down a route of quinoa and meditation though which <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, I'm really worried about so which which you love which right? no I don't love I'm really uncomfortable um, and I don't know why I'm uncomfortable I don't and I do you know I do explore what, it quite makes, a lot. What makes you uncomfortable? Um, because life isn't like that. Like we get divorced, we get we, we single parents. We just have to do the drudge. We have to. Yeah. We can't always choose our partner on the, that basis. We, mm. you know, we we end up with where we are, and yeah. we've got swear alert. We've got shit to do. Yeah, and therefore, you know, as much as people might want to climb the ladder mm. and you know pay it forward and you know job share or whatever it might be or like be their best self mm. at the end of the day they've, they've got to get beans on toast on the table they've got to get to that school drop off yeah. and they've got to have some semblance of good mental health mm. and I think sometimes we put so much pressure on women just to to have it all and sometimes we can't have it all we just got to get through and then we know we'll get it we'll you know as long as we've got that thought that yeah. we'll get it all in the future but at the moment let's just get day to day and mm. get through and I think that just concerns me that you know 
that, that when we're talking and I love these conversations I love you know Dan our, our producer always talks about that it's, this is a philo- philosophy club that we will sit about having mm. nice chats and it is and I, I do love it but then you know you leave here and I think oh, you know did someone listen to us and just think that is not my life mm. my life is a bit of drudgery mm. a bit of getting the dinner on the table emptying the dishwasher and then still having to do the ironing and then go to work the next day but I think that's why organisations have to think about this. And it's, it's actually what can organisations do around things like, you know, coaching and actually just helping, you know, to have a coaching conversation, whether that's managers having coaching conversations, whether it's one-to-one coaching, whether it's group coaching, it's actually just having an understanding and that kind of personalised approach to understanding your people. And it's down to kind of, and it's not about women and men, it's about understanding your people and what people have got going on in their lives. You treat people with respect, you understand what their challenges are, and you do things in the organisation to enable that to, to happen. If they if they need to go off early to pick up a child from school, you make it a normal thing, it's a non-negotiable. It's like, this has to happen and it shouldn't be frowned upon. So I think there's absolutely things that organisations can do. Yeah, I I think just going back to, to what you both just said, I think fundamentally and I always come in with the politics so apologies for this but you know when we're in a country where you take time off to have a family and you are almost you know financially penalized for it you are not almost you are you know I was trying I was trying to be diplomatic but you are you are you know they've just said that we'll that that if you take time off to have mat leave you're going to get a little bit of increase in line with some form of inflation next year it's something like 150 quid a week like that's not even minimum wage so whilst we're in in a place where that's the norm mm. set by our government, companies aren't necessarily going to get behind this stuff mm. unless you've got really really big advocates in mm. your organisation yeah. that understand the impact. Because yeah. that, if that's our starting point, that, you know, yeah. and we I can know. do everything else, Absolutely. can't we? But that's the reality. I think I think that childcare as well is really expensive. Yeah. So actually, that's a a massive massive, you know, hurdle. Because you could, you know, often people think, well, why am I going to go to work when it's gonna, I'm not going to earn enough to pay for the childcare? Yeah, <laughs> yep. so. that that that's really true. I remember another blast from the past. I remember actually my my per, the person who was walking my dog um, was were earning like I was paying them all of my wages. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when my kids yeah. were small, I was like, this this just is just feels you know why am I going out? Yeah, um, and I don't think much has changed. Yeah, it hasn't yeah, at all. You know, I follow. Um, um, pregnant and then screwed. Mm. Um, Jolie Briley, Briley, okay. yeah. And um, you know, seeing the the people share their mm. nursery fees and childcare costs. I mean, sixty k a year on childcare. Mm. Like, no one can. That's not yeah. you know. Not we achievable, we went through the pandemic where furlough payments was like thirty k, and they said that that was the adri- average pay in the UK. Mm. You, well, you're telling me if that's the average pay in the UK, number one, mat, mat leave and paternity leave pay needs to go up because that's not the average, number one. And number two, where are they meant to pay the childcare costs? Like, mm. none of this makes sense. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's why I keep coming back to sort of, as you, you know, we were talking about earlier, that sort of shared parental leave so that it gives women the opportunity to go back and, and accelerate their career. Because what happens is you end up having children, then the, the partner is is earning more money and therefore you think well actually there's no point me going back to work now because I'm not gonna be able to earn as much so you get into this kind of cycle Mm. of Mm. not being able to do it Mm. well we could sit and talk to you all day about this (laughs) we're gonna ask you oh you're gonna go just before you go there I have one other question go for it um, probably for both of you actually so we've just seen in the press this week about the four-day working week Mm. so over 100 companies have signed up to a four-day working week with no impact or loss of pay um thoughts I think if you can make it work, it's amazing. Mm. Um, I want to see 
that it doesn't create more burnout and health issues um i'm all up for kind of throwing things up in the air and seeing how it works but i think it would be what you know really interesting and that's one of the things you know in terms of flexibility it's actually yeah if you want to do work over a four day week but just be careful that you don't set too much pressure Mm. on Mm. that on those expectations yep i'd agree completely i think glad um, we're aligned on something (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no i do i do i do a lot i agree with a lot with in your book um i do no i agree um entirely what you say about the four day week i think um yeah let's 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 wait and see i think a lot of organizations like to be the first to do things and to get their brands out there and then let's let's just see what happens and let's ask the women what's happening and i think actually you know if if men can do more four-day week working and then actually it enables their other halves to do more work then that is something we can we can you know look at and I think it's definitely mm. worth exploring so we say on this podcast that inclusion is an action um so we ask all of our guests um if you can give us a top tip or an inclusive action that you'd like our listeners to think about well, I think there would have to be sponsor a woman this week that's my action i like that time kind time constrained mm-hmm. oh excellent Sponsor and can you so, so can you give them um a few tips on how to get that started so think about first of all the women in your team and think about who you think has got the potential to progress and perhaps look at your diary for the next few weeks and think where have i got something in my diary that's coming up that i could actually put this person forward to attend in my place and just start having the conversation and, and just sort of see where it goes from there. But just be always aware of how you can, you know, either bring them into conversations in meetings or put them in front, you know, in front of the right people. You know, look at your networks, how you can introduce them to that, to your networks, that sort of thing. Excellent. Brilliant. Top tip. Love that. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for I having think. me. It's been great fun. It's been a very, very uh, excitable conversation. It has. Got Dr. <laughs> Julie going. <laughs> no, thank you. Really appreciate no, your time. Excellent. Thank you, Anna. Yeah, I would recommend um, your book, Don't Fix Women. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's a it's a great understanding of where we are and trying to um, look to the future in a positive way. But thank you so much. Thank you. another another great conversation yeah another book there's lots of books coming out around um d e and i mm. at the moment and maybe we should try and do a season where we don't do any books <laughs> <laughs> interesting thinking about my own personal reading yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'm joking <laughs> only a little bit <laughs> So this, this book was this book was interesting because um, it was specifically about changing the debate away from fixing women and fixing some of those societal um, systems or the infrastructure that we all live and work under. Mm, I got lots of funny looks when I was reading this <laughs> on my travels. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. But no, actually, it's the first book because obviously we've read quite a lot of books, yeah. um, as I've just mentioned. Um, and it's the first one that actually has got a few stairs on the tube and people have actually asked me about it. Really? It's the first one. And, uh, you know, bear in mind what we've been reading. Yeah, yeah. It's the first one that... If actually, you don't know what we've been reading, look back at all our episodes. Yeah, You'll watch see. Watch, <laughs> listen to all of the other podcast um, episodes. Um, yeah, so I think that's interesting in itself. Um, 
I feel like we maybe got a little bit off topic and went we went hard into this flexibility, didn't we? Did. We? we did. But in fairness, uh, flexibility is talked about quite a lot in Joy's book. So mm. I think it was a, a good reflection. I and mean, it was good to have a debate and it was good to have a disagreement. Yeah, I mean, you're never one to step down from a disagreement, are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that this is going to happen more and more, though, this debate around flexibility and hybrid and the ways of working and I think we need to stop thinking about it as like a them and us home and office because there's a lot more to the flexibility conversation than just that but I do think that as we get new generations in the workforce and aging workforce people have worked through different times I, I just feel like it's something like that's about to explode in terms of conversation culture well it might be um or it might not oh it's not yeah (laughs) (laughs) well it just might just then just go back back to as we said in in the episode back to how it used to be um yeah and people just look back on it with either fondness um or or think that that was horrendous i never spoke to anybody i mean for me it's all about changing the way we work and to be more output driven Mm. um and not so um clock watchy yeah. But it's, you know, what do we, what are we supposed to be producing? What do we produce? Mm. Um, and it doesn't matter when, where or when you are doing that. Yeah, I um, think the output and performance piece is key there. And also, I, what people go to work for is really mm. important because some people go to work and that's an element of like their social. Like yeah. that's where they find their friends. That's where they do mm. their socialising. That's where they go out. But for some people, they want to come to work, do their job and go home and they want that separation um, or they want the separation and they're quite happy working from home and having a very flexible work life that suits them. I would love to to learn more about that, actually. Maybe we can, that could be a future episode and try and find a guest to talk about that. Mm. You know, what what's the research behind it? What do people really want? I don't think people know what they want. People want their cake and they want to eat it. Like as <laughs> what does that even mean? Because why would you buy a cake and not eat it? Because why would you? <laughs> because <laughs> in this sense, it doesn't mean anything. In this sense, right? People want the flexibility. So people want to work on their own terms. They want to um, be able to come into an office when they want. They want to work from home when they want. They want to work through the time that they want. They want to output you're when they want. Massively making so many generation gen, 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 generalizations. No, I, I'm, you're, you're saying you're about. Like, I was using that as an example <laughs> for the cake and eat it thing. But you are seeing. You know, I, I, there is no research, and I'm not backing this up by anything. <laughs> what I'm saying is, anecdotally, what I'm hearing is lots and pockets of people where businesses are hearing from people that they do want to go into an office, but they want to do it when they want to go in. And actually, from an employer's perspective, that's really tricky to then manage that. Well, We're getting off topic here. We are getting off topic. And um, before I come back on that, I'll just say I'd like to know more research rather than just anecdotally what you hear down okay. down the tube when you're someone's ask, tapping on the shoulder asking you to read your book. Well, great way to sell books. Indeed. Anyway, back, anyway, to, back to Joy. Back to Joy. She was uh, awesome. Uh, I liked her frameworks in ter- terms of the behavioural mm. traits of inclusive leaders. There was 100%. PACE, P-A-C-E. And then there was the gender allies matrix. Um, and she did a lot of work around um, allies, which she was talking to us about. So, yeah, I think um, for me, I think um, I took a lot from that. I really wanted to go back into, and the conversation kind of took us long, but... I really liked that she honed in on exclusion and you know that that's probably my favourite 
way of getting people to connect in with DNI is around kind of focusing on exclusion because I think yes. people can really resonate and like it just I don't know like it just provokes so much feeling for people when you start talking about exclusion that it gives you that in to then get people on that journey of thinking more about inclusion I, I just I, I like I just feel like it's a really great way to approach the subject so I would have liked to have gone into that more but a really good conversation great top tip so sponsor a sponsor a woman this week um and I think what you said at the beginning you know sponsorship is very different to mentoring and so actually if you are going to embark on that maybe kind of like read around it a little bit but you gave some great comments at the start of the podcast about that now I'm curling my lip oh go on <laughs> no, no, no no I just well I just said said it all you know I think I think we can live in an idealized world and have an idealized version of how we want companies to be Mm. um but when you're in those companies trying to drive through diverse inclusion it's really hard it's really hard that's why i'm so (laughs) gray-haired we didn't say so great i was going yes you are great great, (laughs) and on that note oh another finish (laughs) um yeah okay so i was just saying so what you've just said completely goes against the top tip that joy shared with us (laughs) <laughs> you curled your lip at her top tip. <laughs> no, no, I didn't because I thought that. No, no, no. I was curling my lip at the other bit. Um, oh, no, right. top tip was sponsorship. Yeah, the top top was tip awesome. was awesome. Um, I love that sponsorship. Uh, but sponsor someone. Sponsor someone. <laughs> Mike drop one two one two. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. Our handles are in the show notes below. And if you've liked what you've heard, please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically. Thanks for listening.